Welcome to SPAC Island with your hosts, Stan and Alex. We're two Silicon Valley tech product managers who love stock investing and have jumped on board the SPAC boat. SPACs have become a popular way for startups to go public, and dozens have chosen to pursue this route. Some SPACs have done incredibly well, while others turned out to be smoke and mirrors. Join us on our journey to find the diamonds in the rough. But please always do your own research before trading. This This is is not not financial financial advice. In 2018, there were 1 million electric vehicles on the road in the US. By 2030, that could reach 30 million. ARK Invest implies that Tesla, just one EV manufacturer, could have a multi-trillion dollar market cap by 2025. Naturally, other EV competitors have spun up to capture their own slice of the market. So investing in the right EV company could be enormously profitable. The first company to call out is Line Electric. Even last year, they were saying that they had several classes of buses and heavier duty kind of industrial vehicles that were available. Like they have the Lion 6, Lion 8, Lion 8 Reefer, Lion 8 Refuse, Lion M, Lion A, Lion C. So seven vehicles already in the year 2020 available for production. And this year in 2021, they're launching four new ones, uh, a bus, a utility vehicle, you know, a semi or tractor as they call it, and then a bucket, which is basically like a big truck with a cherry picker at the back. Mm, um, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, some other companies are also doing these like cherry picker type type products. Yeah, it's kind of a, I wonder how many are actually made or if that's just kind of a, one of those investor vision Well, things. you could probably put a variety of attachments in the back, right? Like, I don't know if you're necessarily, I don't know if the cherry picker is like, Oh, it's like a it's like a platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah sense. yeah. I think you could probably put like a lot of other things, other than cherry pickers in there. Uh, my imagination is not very great on this because I don't know much about trucks, but yeah, I would hope that you could put other things. Yeah, so you can sell that platform to other companies. Yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. So twenty twenty, they sold one hundred and ten units total, two trucks, one hundred and eight buses. Really ahead of the curve here, in terms of actual yeah, tw- selling products. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and that netted them uh, in total twenty nine million dollars, which is pretty good, pretty good for twenty twenty. Uh, this year, twenty twenty one, they're expecting to basically six x that. So they want to go from two trucks last year to four hundred trucks this year, and they want to go from one hundred and eight trucks to two hundred and fifty trucks, Ooh. which is uh, quite a big ramp up, but. I mean, I guess I kind of have to believe it because they've already been selling so many buses, but we can dig into, we can dig into that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're looking to go from $29 million in revenue to $200 plus million in top line. So yeah, uh, this definitely is a company that where maybe they actually can deliver on, on these trucks. Yeah, they already have the manufacturing yeah. set up. They already have the customers in place. They already mm-hmm. have the foundation for pretty solid growth. Yeah, forward. and I think what's more impressive is in the in the context of them being having shipped all these products, um, their deck also says that it's a hundred percent in house uh, in terms of designed and assembled product. Mm-hmm. 
So in the in this deck, it's saying that you know their truck cabin body for buses, the whole chassis, battery, and powertrain apparently are all done in house. So you know not only are they shipping, but they're actually doing everything themselves, as opposed to the alternate model of sourcing components from other suppliers, which I think is also pretty impressive, given their execution.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they have their own factory. They have their own manufacturing. There's no contract manufacturing for core kind of components of their system.、Mm-hmm. The only thing that I don't have a good sense of from Lion Electric is their battery tech.、Mm-hmm. They don't really tout like kilowatt hours or like. You know how impressive their battery tech will be as they grow. Like the the deck on batteries is really just saying that they're developing, you know, a battery system and they're developing、uh, this assembly facility as a project that will go live in a couple years. I mean, I wouldn't like for them. Like, I wouldn't really be worried too much about them having like some super unique、uh, battery tech. It's more just like,、mm-hmm. can they put the trucks together? Can they sell them? And then yeah, leave the battery、yeah. so, tech to the other companies and all the R and D costs associated with that. Yeah. So maybe that's why they've been able to get to market so much quicker. Like maybe that's why they're kind of、um, ahead of the curve on time to market.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the more focused a company, like these guys, like make an electric truck, sell the electric truck, manufacture truck. Don't worry about trying to make autonomous trucks or make your own battery tech or anything like that. Just focus on、uh, making money today. Yeah, that's actually a great point. There's a lot of the decks that are a little bit fancier and are touting some big leaps in innovation,、um, and a lot of it centers around autonomous and like crazy batteries and factory tech. But these guys seem to be just executing on. I feel like saying old school would almost like be a slight insult or like a slight <laughs> to the company, given that they're like an electric truck and bus company, but. I don't know. I don't know, but as guys, yeah, I think as an investor, like I kind of want people who are more old school, and not、mm. wasting so much of their their capex on R and D. That's probably not going to work out in the future. Yeah, the way they talk about growth is、uh, battery packs and assembly, and they're just expanding their manufacturing capacity. So in the next year or two, they're going to take the money that they got from the spec and put about、um, a quarter of it, just over a quarter, so the hundred. Thirty out of five hundred mil、um, into expanding their manufacturing capacity. So,、yeah. I mean, that's that's、I'll、where I'd、that. want them to spend it. So, no, I think this yeah, makes it、yeah. makes a lot of sense. And for disclosure, I think I have a little bit in this company. I don't think it's a lot. I don't really have much money invested in EVs except for Tesla, but I am in this one. I don't know if we should have started with the one that's like, yep, they're making、uh, making trucks, they're manufacturing trucks, they're selling trucks, and、uh, they're making money. Which is a, a rosier picture than I think a lot of these guys have. Yeah, but I think that's a good bar to have. Like the expectation is, I think, when you're raising this money, that you're prioritizing the delivery of your product. I think as we go into some of these other companies, the like you said, the picture might be a little different. I mean, looking at my spreadsheet here, I know Proterra is also touting that they're ahead of the curve. Let's see if we look into their deck. So Proterra is、uh, another kind of a EV company. They're focusing more on、uh, buses, for the most part, and then eventually more like trucks and、uh, industrial vehicles. Yeah, and it looks like their approach is to not do everything in house. It looks like they have a strategic partnership with different vehicle manufacturers. Like there's this company called、uh, I'll call out Thomas Buses, 
and um, they've been in production since Q2 of 2020 and um, integrating into this big fleet that Thomas has to, to build their buses. Yeah, so, so kind of they... leveraging a strategic partner to get distribution. Mm -hmm. Yep. So looking at their financial model, so they were saying that in 2020, uh, so last year, their deck is not as clear, uh, but they generated revenue of uh, nearly $200 million last year. Wow. And um, yeah, so there's two line items on their income statement. Uh, one's called transit. They sold 153 units of something and then powered and energy, which I assume maybe are maybe just powertrains in themselves or battery tech or something like that, where they sold 40 of those. Mm -hmm. Or no, 40, I guess 153 million of transit product and then 40 million of powered and energy product. So I don't know what those are. It's pretty vague, but um, <laughs> yeah, good for them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, they're making, is, making money, yeah. which is one of the key, key metrics for companies. Yes. Or it used to be, you know, before all these uh, crazy SPACs and startups started going, uh, going public. Hey man, my my favorite my favorite spec uh, MP is is do is profitable. So one of not few. all of them, not <laughs> not all of them. One of few, <laughs> but yeah, two hundred mil in revenue is not too shabby for any company. Yeah. So what kind of uh, growth prospects are they looking at? Just continuing to grow that that manufacturing base and selling to more customers. Yeah, it's interesting. So they like all these other EVs are looking at a huge. Um, compounded annual growth rate in the long run. But Proterra is not actually projecting that much growth until 2022. So I think maybe we can dig into that with some of the other manufacturing talking points later down the road. But it looks like they're only looking to go from 200, 193 to 246 mil in 2021. So from 2020 to 2021, uh, they're looking to grow 27%. So I think that's interesting because everybody else is like trying to give the rocket ship projections. Yeah, yeah the crazy uh, investor charts up and to the right. Yeah, but yeah, the Proterra knows that this is one of their strong suits. So they have uh, another deck in their investor presentation saying how, you know, in 2021, Arrival and Canoe and some of these other companies aren't even going to have any revenue until further out. So it is definitely impressive that they're already doing about $200 million a year or last year and this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely stands out. That's interesting. They call that out in their, in their investor deck, mm -hmm. but it makes sense if they're being compared with consumer vehicle companies, which I don't know if that's a, a fair comparison, but it's interesting. They're calling that out. Yeah. So this one in terms of time to market, they're already in the market. Let's see if I've got anything else here. Yeah. It seems like a lot lower risk than a lot of these companies. I mean, you're already you're already in the market. They're already manufacturing. They already have the customers. They're already delivering to customers. Mm -hmm. So a lot less speculative than some of these companies. Yeah, yeah. These guys do look like they have their own battery system. Um, so it looks like even though they are, they've been in the business for a while. It's not because they've had to outsource too much of the key technology. They have this like stackable battery design that they're showing in the in the deck can kind of scale from these shuttle buses. Like the the typical ones you'd see at like the airport, all the way up to semis. It's just a matter of I guess stacking more and more of the modules together to provide power. Yeah, I'm just a I'm a fan of their the fact that they're actually making income right now. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they have customers. Yeah. But yeah, so so far these two are both more like bus, like heart, like 
more industrial type applications of, of EV technology. Um, I think the ones, as we kind of dig further into the other examples, I think the more consumer oriented these companies are, the more nascent for some reason. Yeah, they're able to uh, yeah. kind of tap into that uh, EV hype on the consumer sector. So Canoe, do you want to give a quick summary of those guys? I know you yeah. like them. So Canoe is um, like a very early EV company. They're essentially um, like a kind of a, their idea is they have like a skateboard kind of module where you can pop on different, uh, you have like a delivery truck, you can have a food truck. You can essentially swap out all the different modules that they have to change their truck into whatever you need. So whether it's delivery, whether it's food, whether it's some other type of commercial vehicle, it's modular so you can swap out different elements to create whatever you need. So a really interesting idea. They have a really nice kind of slick video with a bunch of renders and interesting looking prototype. Their actual financials and what they've actually uh, been able to manufacture and sell is not quite as rosy a picture, but it's a really interesting concept uh, going forward with commercial vehicles, at least. They, out of the three that we've talked about so far, these guys look like they're the most ambitious uh, in terms of volume. It yep. looks like Which they... they have to be, you know, when you have nothing, <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta you gotta act like you got yep. a lot more than you're going to have, probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, 2020, it looks like they didn't sell any vehicles, and they don't expect to either in 2021, but they're going to start the market with uh, a consumer vehicle uh, in 2022, and it looks like they will deliver a whopping 10,000 vehicles. Next year, without any manufacturing yep. base right now. Yes. In less than 365 days, uh, it appears they, they will start delivering 10,000 10, vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. Totally yeah. believable. <laughs> But <laughs> I think you and I are both pretty skeptical about their ability to deliver 10,000 vehicles like a year. 2022. Yeah. Yeah, it, a year. But, you know, maybe it all comes down to their manufacturing. Like maybe they just have manufacturing down as a key core competency that, you know, some of these other companies can't. So they do have some slides about the way that they're going to go and do some beta testing and, and start to deliver on, on this roadmap. They have a slide that talks about this timeline from 2020 to Q2 2022. And this timeline kind of talks about how they're going to start manufacturing and um, doing what's called a gamma prototype. I think the gamma is perhaps the, maybe the name of the vehicle that they're going to start producing, but they're going to have prototypes and then they're going to um, make them available for customers and start, uh, start producing Q2. So, I mean, the, the way I'm describing it, I know it already sounds super vague, but that is literally how vague that the slide actually is. But this actually does give an interesting piece of information, which is that in the year 2022, where they expect to deliver 10,000 vehicles, they're not going to start uh, do a quote-unquote serial start of production until Q2. So that means within six months, they will pump out 10,000 vehicles. Like... This is like a real, like a spring type plan where they're just going to like compress the spring and then all of a sudden they're going to explode. Um, what is that? That's like, okay, so 10,000 divided by six months. So they, they think they're going to pump out like 16, 1700 cars a month. And all it takes is this, them ramping uh, their capacity, I suppose. Um Yep. Yeah. Very, uh, very ambitious, you know, but uh, you got to kind of sell the uh, the vision 
and uh, sell some type of plan. So probably not very likely, but uh, interesting kind of concept with the uh, different modularity that they have from day one. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if it's worth going into why they think they can produce because... Mm, yeah, it seems pretty hand-wavy. Yeah, like going through it wouldn't have much substance because the uh, the slide itself doesn't have too much substance. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. If it's yeah, they, that. yeah, they basically have like an asset light plan, but uh, and they're trying to have like a non-traditional manufacturing method, but it doesn't seem like they have much manufacturing experience. So it's a bit tough to believe that that's the plan they're going to end up sticking with. They're, my guess is they're going to go with some type of contract manufacturer somewhere in the world and uh, have that person just manufacture their initial units that they're trying to sell. Yeah. No matter yep. what their plan is. I mean, that's just, they're going to start getting panic as they get closer to that deadline. They're going to have to go to a contract manufacturer and whip these out. Maybe not 10,000, but whip out some number of them. And it's probably not going to be very cost effective, but that's going to be what they need in order to satisfy the investors and meet their timelines. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's just to get ramped up for their B2C vehicle. Um, you know, there, I don't think there's anything involving any type of charging ecosystem or uh, working out the kinks to their software because their whole um, business model is predicated not on selling traditional uh, vehicles via like a dealership or um, just like owning the vehicle. Um, their model is unique in that they actually expect to only lease their products out. Yeah, via, the subscription. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a cross between like a lease and I think it, an Uber system almost, um, whereby you're just kind of using it as you go, like or like kind of calling your vehicle as you need it. Um, but then I guess they're expecting over the years to expand into um, like a more of a enterprise, like a B2B kind of a delivery vehicle and then eventually to like the sports model. Um, so yeah, good luck to them. Yeah, I think, I mean, the subscription model is definitely interesting. I've seen a, a few a few companies have proposed that, but I haven't seen any that have been able to do it effectively. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Mercedes just closed down theirs. It was like, well, theirs is also very expensive. It's like 2500 a month. You can go and get any um, Benz you wanted. But yeah, they recently closed. I think Volvo has one that's still operational, but there hasn't been too much success in that space so far. So it'd be interesting to see if someone can crack that nut. Yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned BMW because the the person, quote unquote, in charge is Ulrich Krantz, who's worked at BMW uh, and Mini uh, for about 30 years at the executive. Uh, he was a former executive at BMW. So he does have plenty of experience in the automotive industry, but I don't know, even something, even somebody at his caliber, this seems to like he's biting off more than he can chew. Yeah. I mean, this is definitely very ambitious to say the least. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And his deck also did go into batteries tech. Like, yeah, I don't think he even had a slide for it. Yeah. I mean, manufacturing is going to be such a big hurdle for them alone. Like, Trying to put any other R and D focuses like tech or like um like batteries or doing their own autonomous software, like anything like that would just be not worth focusing on and not worth spending capital on. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, um, I did have this slide actually here where they specifically said they're doing contract engineering and licensing opportunities. Yeah, so that might mean that like Hyundai ends up actually making this car. Yeah, yeah. So it says they're gonna so Hyundai new vehicle contract engineering validated skateboard technologies over 12 months with multiple on-site visits. Um, yeah, so this is the first company that we've talked about so far that is interested in outsourcing uh, or contracting, I guess, significant pieces of uh, technology necessary for go-to-market. Yeah, and I think that was one of the nice things about uh, Lion is that they specifically called out they're not doing that and that they have everything in-house. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Because, like, like whoever does your contract manufacturing is going to take a cut, like a decent cut of the profits, especially if mm -hmm. they're doing like not only manufacturing but also engineering. Uh, it's going to be it comes like a pretty large cost with that associated with that and the yeah. dependency on that company and their supply chain yeah. or supply lines. Yeah, but the uh, but I think it might be worth saying you know why does it seem like an enticing value proposition that you would outsource. A piece of this because i think i think you and i are aligned that this is not actually a positive um but i think a lot of people have bought into the idea that contracting out is a way to go because you imagine that if you were to give a, a important job to somebody that's been doing it uh, or has a reputation for being able to execute that things would work well but um i think the experience that you and I draw on is uh, working in tech. It, it's often lower risk when you try to do things yourself, even if it takes longer or costs a little bit more than to hand off your vision to um, some other uh, to some other team um, who mm -hmm. may not be uh, in line with all the small details of the vision that you had in mind. That is what actually makes it all possible. Yep. Yeah, you lose you lose control of of um well you you lose having that talent who actually makes the device. You also lose like insight into all the nitty-gritty details that really make your your product your product. Um things get messier, there's shortcuts that are taken. I remember we did uh like one product that I worked on, we actually worked with a contract manufacturer or contract engineering firm and they put all these chips in that they just had lying around and then when we got to manufacturing the costs, like the bomb was like an extra $20 just because these guys used some random chips that they shouldn't have used, which then meant each of our units was $20 more than it should have been. So there's all mm. a lot of kind of things you don't really realize when you're, or like contract manufacturers or contract engineers are kind of putting in to help make it easier for them, but that aren't necessarily in line with your company goals in the long term. So it's a shortcut, but there is a pretty large price to it. Uh, so in their case, it might just be, can we manufacture these units? Can we then get additional investor dollars to then do something that's more long-term and more sustainable? Um, mm -hmm. Which is, you know, you got to start from scratch again. You you already made this first device. You already sold it. Now you got to, now once you get that second tranche of capital, are you able to sell this this new vision? You have to go essentially start from scratch, get the talent, bring everything in-house, make a new product, all from scratch. Um, which is going to take longer too. So a lot of risks, but the the payoff is potentially getting another tranche, or selling another, or being able to show proof to investors and getting more money. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess it all depends on how closely they can work with their manufacturing partners. Because um, it's not impossible, it just introduces a lot of hidden variables that one might not assume. Yeah, but if they want to hit this timeline, I think, I don't know how else they would do it. Because um, you would want to, you'd want to lean pretty heavily on someone who's done this many times before and has the capability already. Yep, agreed. The interesting thing is that they think that this year they're still going to pull in one hundred twenty million dollars um, of B two B work. So it seems like they're almost trying to monetize their engineering team without even having any vehicles. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand where this revenue is coming from. Did you? Did you see? <laughs> Me neither. I I actually thought that this contract engineering and licensing opportunity slide um, was partly canoe contracting out their own skill set. Um, I, I don't see like a skill set besides like re rendering and, and design. Yeah, I think that's partly what it is because they have this select projects thing and um, they have AR, AI slash VR startup. Canoe recognized this vehicle platform for AR integration with potential for significant vehicle orders for partner. Um, like, yeah, it doesn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I'd, yeah. I mean, your your guess is as good as mine, but it says activity overview, 120 million of projected revenue, 2021. <laughs> it would be interesting if there's any actual revenue so far in 2021, or this is like pie in the sky, hope and a prayer kind of stuff. I agree. Uh, it's very ambiguous. Um, there's nothing that breaks it out any more granular than just saying that they're going to get about a hundred million bucks coming in 2021. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I believe it, so I wouldn't put too much, uh, <laughs> you know, credence towards it. I am inclined to agree, but the car looks unique. It's very boxy yet curved. Boxy yet curved. <laughs> <laughs> good, good description. Boxy, so. but spherical. <laughs> So this company, actually, I think we're going to have an interesting talk about uh, the manufacturing, but Arrival is another EV company. They are looking to make buses and vans, um, like a UPS delivery, delivery truck type of uh, form factor. And they don't actually expect to ship anything until 2022, um, where they expect to Let's see, ship a thousand, I want to say buses, 5,200 large vans, and then 4,400 straight up vans. Yeah. And they already have a contract with uh, UPS. That they do. Um, although I think their contract is pretty much, you have to just, like, as long as you make them, they'll buy them. Yep which is uh, not always it, the easiest thing for these companies. <laughs> yeah, so it looks like they have a runway of two years to start delivering these vans to UPS. Yeah, so they've got 10K vehicles ordered by UPS with an additional 10K as an option. And then they have 5,000 vehicles in late-stage sales discussions, 3,000 sub, 3, subject to LOIs. Mm. Well, LOIs don't really do much. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting, I think, is their approach. They have a new buzzword for us to consume called micro factories. Ooh, new um, buzzwords. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, actually, uh, we should actually cut this into the talk about the UPS stuff. Okay, so this is the interesting thing. Uh, it just got buried here. So they have an order to deliver this UPS uh, delivery truck to, to UPS, uh, 10,000 of them, right? But for some reason, their production timeline is to actually deliver a bus first. Like a city bus? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they... It's interesting they also, like, I, I didn't see, like, anything calling out, like, a municipal customer. Like, any city or someone who's contracted for a, a bus with them. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I think it's a very novel, or I think it's a very interesting concept. My take is that they want to just make buses and run their own bus line. Because they have... Uh, I don't think I took screenshots of that uh, for the discussion here, but they have these mock-ups of an app where you can just basically uh, check the bus schedule or, or you know, pay your pay the bus line or whatever. So presumably, you would have your own bus system running around. Like you make a bus, you start uh, running your own bus lines, and that's how people get around. And I huh. think that that's interesting because buses are a municipal thing. Like you just mentioned, they don't have any cities that they're um, working with. But could that be the future where you have these like, you know, bus signs and, and whatnot, but then you just start running your own bus business? Kind of like the tech buses. Are those things like yeah, bus businesses are, are, I guess not bus businesses, but like municipal buses are notorious for losing tons of money. And a lot of it's on the maintenance costs. I don't know mm. how much if they've run the numbers, but I've never heard that municipal buses make any money. Well, okay. So going back to the manufacturing, it's interesting that you say that it's a very, like you lose a lot of money on the manufacturing because uh, the, no, on the maintenance. a lot of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. On the maintenance. But a lot of their manufacturing is supposed to say that it's like, um, you know, they, they have these uh, materials people, and these materials are supposed to last longer. They're supposed to be I mean, uh, more that's, durable. It's true. I, got, I mean, electric uh, vehicles are um, way simpler, way fewer moving parts, fewer parts overall. So I could, I could see it being uh, cheaper to, to run. Is it, are they saying, I think they didn't say anything about autonomous, right? So these are going to be like driven by somebody. Um, I actually think that they're going for autonomous. I just decided not to include that because well, not for twenty twenty two. That's like a, that's yeah. like a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to really make of this because like everything like I've looked into like I, don't know, I was curious and because I, I think Uber was talking about this a couple of years ago, and like buses buses just don't they lose tons of money. I mean, government run. There's no real incentive to to streamline it to make more money. But just like you have the bus depot, you have the bus maintenance, you have the tires, you have drivers, you got so many different moving parts, even with an app and being able to check where people are along the route. I don't, I am just uh, not, not seeing that, especially when you have like UPS literally trying to give you money right now. Why we, why you would continue to go after the bus business rather than trying to go towards, um, you know, fulfilling those UPS orders. Yeah, that made me hella confused. But, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe they don't need money right now. Maybe they just want to, they already got the investor money. They sold the investors on this um, 
this bus business and they're just gonna go after it yeah yeah uh maybe maybe um but i guess on their factory so they have a few factories right now it looks like they have one uh facility in Bister, by um i think that's in the uk it seems but they also have a bus factory in south carolina so there's a van factory somewhere in europe and a bus factory somewhere in the us and they're touting a system called uh a micro factory approach which for some reason leads to lower opex uh, more scalability um, and just like a smaller footprint. So less square footage needed to actually just develop your overall product. Presumably, perhaps because it could be um, all robot arm manufactured. Yeah. I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of pessimistic on this kind of stuff. I think uh, people are very... Uh, they think that the arms can do more than they can. But, ah, uh, yeah. Tell me more about that. Uh, I mean, like, you, what are the limitations? Yeah. So the you have like the arms doing repeatable tasks, but uh, I mean Tesla talked about this when they, when they were trying to like weave hoses through doors or weave like wires through different parts of the chassis as they're manufacturing. Like they were trying to automate it, and they ended up wasting a lot of time. So you still need humans in the system. There's also like. There's a lot of things that it's cheaper to have a human do. I mean, not necessarily if you have U.S. talent, but um, like the arms aren't good for everything. They're not. They're super expensive, um, especially ones with cars. Depending on like, I don't know, it ranges from uh, anywhere from like thirty thousand to half a million, and depending on like the weight mm -hmm. and all the different specs. But mm -hmm. uh, trying to automate everything doesn't necessarily work a lot of times, especially when you're doing low volume. The money that you would spend into putting into all these arms and like trying to make it super automated, uh, you could probably make more units just by hiring a bunch of people, telling them what to do and, and going forward. Um, so I think people overestimate how I, it, I, if you're trying to make like half a million cars or a million cars, like absolutely you should automate everything you possibly can. That's, that's feasible. But if you're trying to make like hundred buses a year, 200 buses a year, trying to automate everything doesn't really make, it doesn't really pay off. It'd be cheaper just to have a bunch of folks doing it. Mm, interesting. I think I have an answer for you on who they're trying to sell this to. I think I got a little carried away with my theory about running their own bus line. I think that would be a super cool idea still. Uh, I think they should pursue that or look into it. Uh, but it does look like they have a customer uh, in the UK. So all their renders for buses are actually, uh, looks like it's for driving on the ember uh yeah on the opposite side of the road the wrong side of the road i mean that just might be where they're launching i don't i mean i always said i don't see any customers they just said they're they're probably they're a uk based company so their renders would be on the whoever did the render probably or whoever did the cad probably just did it on the side they're used to uh i guess that could be true um but I think Ember, Ember's probably a UK uh, company, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I were them and I already had a customer signed up, I would render it in those customers' 
colors like they did with UPS. So I, mm -hmm. I think um, it's really worth looking into more. Yeah. Oh, here we go. This is why I thought they were going to do it on their own. So they have a slide on a digital ecosystem um, where you have a bus that doesn't follow a specific bus route, apparently. It just, you book it and then it comes to you. I don't know. I don't know how scalable that is. So. Yeah, it seems like the point of a bus is that it fits a defined route. Um, that's what makes it cheaper than actually a, a car. Yeah. So if it's just like trying to weave through all these neighborhood streets, I don't know if that, uh, that really makes sense. Maybe there's more to it that we're missing, but uh, it doesn't really seem to work for a bus. Ah, uh, well. Anyway, not uh, terribly bullish on this company. Yeah. This one seems more pie in the sky, especially because like you got 10,000 orders from UPS. That's incredibly impressive. Why would you try to pursue this bus over fulfilling those initial orders and getting the additional 10K that they're, they said they would sign up for if the initial um, batch goes well, initial test goes well? That just seems really, um, uh, it seems like we're missing something big. Mm. That they would make that strategic decision. Well, they are the billion dollar company. Yeah. <laughs> Probably based just off that uh, UPS order, honestly. I mean, that UPS order is a huge uh, check mark in their favor. Mm -hmm. Maybe they got it after they started doing all their bus stuff. Yeah. Or they were trying to like figure out a revenue stream to, to be able to go and get this back. And they had some connection or something, especially because like the mm. order's not till 2022. Maybe they were able to push it out so UPS was more comfortable. But it's just something, something's not quite adding up here. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I agree. I was, I, I think it was in Arrival very briefly. I think I had some warrants that I sold before the dip. Yeah, I mean, Arrival's like a worse for Terra. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Basically. I do have some Proterra. Um, yeah, I do have some of those. I mean, I like a little bit like, more. I mean, Proterra doesn't have the nice renders, but they have they have units that are yes. being sold and manufactured. So I think that wins I, every day. I can, yeah, I consider those revenue numbers much more beautiful than any of these theoretical renders. Yep, I mean, renders are pretty cheap. <laughs> I guess people are building billion-dollar companies off of renders these days, but. I would uh, I would stick with the ones companies that are actually generating revenue. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about Zeus real quick. So Zeus is interesting in that they're trying to manufacture several different classes of commercial vehicles, uh, ranging from um, what's considered class five, which is like a delivery van, uh, all the way up to like these shipping trucks to these uh, these pickers or these. I don't know what this is called, but like not quite a semi truck, but like, like a smaller version of a trailer tractor trailer. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What yeah, basically the, the same time. as Lion. Mm -hmm. Um, pretty much the same as Lion, and uh, their uh, let's see, their their claim to fame is that they also have some sales. Um, they delivered. Uh, 18 or 17 vehicles. They delivered 17 vehicles. 
in 2020. And this year, they think they're going to deliver 116 vehicles. So going from $2.6 million in revenue last year to $13.8 million this year. Doesn't that seem really low? I guess if the average I mean, unit price is 100k or 120k. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I don't know. It just seems kind of low. The revenue that they're they're kicking off from that. So that- the thing that confuses me uh, when I first looked at this is they say they're selling a step van slash uh, strip chassis. They're gonna sell 86 of them this year. Um, in contrast, they're going to sell 12 powertrains. So I don't know why they're like, to me, a chassis is just like the body of the car, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they're counting that as a full on vehicle because like, isn't the powertrain like the key component that pushes your vehicle forward? So like, if they're only making 12 of those, why would a chat, like, why would you count chassis as a bookable product like a revenue generating product yeah so they're like a manufacturer for helping other other vehicle companies oh so they're just gonna oh okay so i guess the idea is that i mean yeah they're not making their own vehicles they're making the components i I thought i think they're making their own vehicles Mm. so obviously listeners can't see but you know they've got pictures. I don't think those are those are generic. All really? Those. I mean, they put their so they're logo just going to sell the components to some other company, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's my interpretation because they wouldn't they wouldn't break it out uh, mm. otherwise. There'd be no reason to mm. break out the different uh, components of a vehicle. That's but uh, that's also why like the revenue numbers seem kind of too rosy. Like, how are you making 120k off of the chassis of a truck when the truck is probably sold for like 150k? Yeah, that's a good point. You have to dig into it more because it just doesn't like the essentially the revenue numbers are their average um, value per unit is 120k based on their projected their current and projected revenue numbers. But if you're just making a like a chassis of a truck, a powertrain, like you're not going to get that number. So something's not quite adding up here. But that's kind of par for the course for these specs, to be honest. <laughs> uh, where like, I mean, nickel is I think a good example where like, what they were saying and what they were actually doing like did not match. And uh, it might be a similar story with this this company here. Well, I think with nickel, part of the problem was also like they're going hydrogen, which is even further out in terms of technical feasibility compared to what we have today Mm -hmm. no i mean like what they were saying and like hydrogen technology is not where they were saying it was Mm -hmm. and then so essentially what they were saying what was actually the reality is like not not the same so here they're saying one thing they're saying that we're selling some number of units and they're selling actually they're just selling components of units or of of vehicles but then the revenue numbers aren't matching i was just saying that like what they're saying and what we what we can see here don't they just don't match up. Yeah, it's confusing to me still though because in their go to market pitch, they're saying that, um, for example, you know, if we look at a thousand unit order from Lone Star Truck Group, 
So Lone Star is key partner for large corporate parcel delivery fleets, such as FedEx Ground and um, Lodestar to provide distribution service and manufacturing support for Zeus vehicles in Texas. So I don't know. It's just like when you say vehicle, I, I feel like they are supposed to be the entire, like a drivable pro uh, vehicle. They're making their own batteries. For trucks that are like specific yeah. for trucks. Yeah. So they're touting that, you know, they're manufacturing. They're trying to own their supply chain. They're doing their Q&A. Like they just have manufacturing partners to help with the facility and staffing. So they're working with uh, Metalsa, which is a manufacturer for the frame and chassis systems, uh, and Fitzgerald for manufacture of glider vehicles. Apparently gliders are just like vehicles without powertrains. So it looks like they're manufacturing entire vehicles but they're just selling like so they, it seems like they're making everything but they're not assembling it themselves mm -hmm. so they're gonna just sell powertrains to some people and sell that's just so weird like why would you why would you that, that i just, mean it, it makes it makes sense especially electric powertrains like I, I mean i could see that being a big business especially as like these uh combustion com combustion like uh combustion truck and i see um Commercial vehicle companies are trying to transition to electric, but they don't have that capability in-house. You can go over to these guys and buy their powertrain. What I'm not liking here is that they're not really selling that many powertrains. Like, even their powertrain projection is like a hundredth of their mm -hmm. other, or a tenth of their other units. So if they sell, like in 2022, they're projecting to sell 100 powertrains, but they're projecting to sell 1,100 of these chassis. Oh, oh, they will wait. So selling tractors, does that mean it's a whole car? Um, so they're also they have a I mean they have a partnership with um uh cat caterpillar. Uh-huh. So they might be making electric uh tractors. Hmm. Okay, I don't really like this part of me. Yeah, I think well it also I mean Caterpillar could help their unit price, it's just that uh so like 120,000, uh, I mean, if you're making a tractor, but also why would they be assembling it in 2022? Like, they're just like, we're just looking at their financial forecast and it just like doesn't really make sense with what they're saying. Yeah, I don't really get it. It's not clicking for me. Yeah. Oh, oh I, I, I could see it being uh, like an interesting, interesting business just selling the powertrain. I just don't understand why they're not selling the, just the powertrain. It, I, I just don't understand. Yeah, there's that, but fundamentally... I just don't understand why you're building all of the components. I don't know why you're just not making a, f a car and just selling it directly yourself. Well, you wouldn't want to compete with your um, with your customers, right? Like, I think one of the benefits is actually not building a car. If you don't build a car, then like your customers are, you're not you're not competing with them on the road. You're not competing for marketing dollars. They're happy to work with you. It's like why does uh, GM not buy Tesla batteries, even though they arguably have one of the best, um, like battery manufacturing operations are at least used to in the world. Well, I still do. It's because right, I would but, rather not but it's work about, with a competitor. It's about making the overall largest amount of money from the uh, resources that you're putting forward. So in my opinion, if you are putting forward all of the R&D and effort to making all of the components of a car, wouldn't you make way more money just selling the assembled product? 
Well, then you gotta sell. You gotta like make. You gotta um sell the car, right? So making it's one thing, but then selling it. Yeah, but the selling sales funnel. Like these things just sell themselves. Uh, no? I mean, there's there's a lot of companies. I mean, we've already talked about a few of them here. So, it's it's like a question of like, do you want to get into like direct to business sales, or would you rather sell to these manufacturers and just be a OEM? Uh, I guess I feel like being just an OEM. Like I, I I've I kind of felt like uh, we're kind of past the just being an OEM days. Well, especially for a spec, I think manufacturing. It's- uh, I mean, in this case, like, I could definitely see it making a lot of sense, especially as like you have because like right now we're just talking about like a few EV companies that have happened to like make the jump, but there's still like dozens of commercial vehicle companies across the country that haven't made the jump to EV that are eyeing it. If these guys, my my concern is they're not capitalizing on that, but if these guys kind of shift their attention towards helping these, like essentially being making the equipment that these companies need to make that switch to the future. I think that that's a big opportunity. And yeah, maybe that's what yeah. They're... I guess you have different companies that, like Hylion, I know they're doing a powertrain. Yeah, so like the chassis and like what they're current, like what the equipment that they're currently manufacturing for these these companies, like maybe that's like a, a foot in the door. And mm. they already are selling these powertrains, these electric powertrains, and they're selling the chassis. Chassis are probably easier to sell right now, and then they can always um, upsell. As uh, these companies get more pressure to from their customers to switch over to EV powertrains. Yeah, I guess I just have a maybe a bias against uh, parts manufacturers as opposed to. Uh, yeah, there's not as much companies money that sell the whole product. Not as much money in it, um, right? Like if 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 like they had their projection numbers being like powertrain, like we're gonna sell ten thousand powertrains by the 20, 2025, like. That'd be fantastic. Like that's what I would want to see, but for some reason they're still focusing on like the making the tractors, making the chassis. And maybe maybe it's because like they're lumping. Like if you make a tractor, you got to always make you. You have to always also make the powertrain for that tractor. So it might just be like how they're breaking this out, because you can't make thirteen thousand tractors without making thirteen thousand powertrains. But they're saying thirteen thousand tractors, with nine hundred powertrains, so. Um, it looks like, but like who, yeah, yeah. I guess my yeah, I guess my hang up is like, who cares if you made a chassis? What you what matters is like the powertrains, and if you're mm-hmm. making a powertrain, you might as well just like make the whole thing yourself. Yeah, right. I mean, it looks like like tractors is the actual vehicle they're making. Oh well, this is a pass for me for sure. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think I own any of this. Yeah, I think they just need to clean up their narrative because like right now it's not very clear. Um, at least from their projections and their their balance sheet, because they're I mean they're talking about last mile electric vehicles and then they're just basically going to be have a tractor manufacturer. That's not really adding up for me. All right, let's move on. We've got Lordstown, Lordstown Motors, the subject of uh, some short selling these days. So this company is trying to make a uh, a pickup truck. Um, allegedly they're trying to make it for fleets, like, uh, people who would want to just buy, like, I don't know, 50 or buy a hundred trucks all in one go. Um, so the B2B route. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, basically 
the same fork factor as like a Ford F-150, just electronic form. They said they had 100,000 pre-orders for their product. Uh, in the deck, they noted that those were non-binding and apparently Hindenburg Research, the short seller that I mentioned, is calling them out because those are even less legit than expected. I think it was more um, like, my impression of those orders is more like, how interested would you be in buying from Lordstown? And people were like, yeah, sure, I'd do it. And then they, they counted that as a pre-order. So almost like a no money down type of thing, it seems. Yeah, you got to get the... Uh... Got to get some interesting numbers to tell investors to get raise the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And hope it doesn't blow up in your face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean they're they're trying to go with a, a cheaper car, and if we're looking at time to market, you know, I don't I, th I don't think they even published any numbers of like spreadsheets of how that was gonna play out in their heads. The only thing I know of is that they have. Uh, this factory from GM that they bought, um, probably because they had some investment and in, in partner with GM. But even so, they're still going to have to do a lot of modifications. So uh, in total, they were gonna, they're going to have to spend $120 million just to retool the factory, which is kind of high in my opinion. Like, I'm trying to remember what uh, Tesla spent to retool the Nissan factory that they got but uh, i want to say 70 million but it's i mean it's not cheap mm -hmm. here i found some target production targets so in 2021 they were looking to make 2,000 vehicles and then they were looking to ramp up to 32,000 in 2022 yeah and this company's been around since 2019 like april 2019 so zero to uh 50,000 pretty quick yeah yeah, totally. Uh, let's see. Their beta is supposed to come out in Q1. I think we already passed Q1. I haven't heard much about a prototype, to be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of these are going to get delayed. Um, so I guess in terms of time to market, it seems like their goal is very ambitious That in that it should already have been out. Um, and they take have taken the route of refurbing an existing factory like Tesla, but they still are going to have a lot of challenges going to market with a limited production run. Yeah, I mean, right now it's just probably very rosy pictures to try to sell the vision, especially and mm -hmm. sell like a RO, or not ROI, but some type of return relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. Reality is like, I mean, fixing a whole factory, getting all the equipment you need to set up the factory, especially during COVID with all the supply chain constraints, uh, compounding something that would otherwise be incredibly ambitious uh, just makes it even less likely. But I think, uh, I mean, I don't think that's really the narrative to focus on here. I think it's more of like, do these guys have the ability to actually manufacture this? Whether it's, you know, this year, next year, or the year after, um, will they be able to, to kind of get everything set up? I think that's the more interesting narrative to focus on. And I think... I mean, I think uh, based off like their exec team, their partnerships, um, I'm pretty pretty bullish on on their ability to get the manufacturing set up, to get that facility operational, and to start cranking out these these trucks. Um, so I'm 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 actually yeah I'm pretty in favor of these guys. I also like that they've taken funding from GM, so they have a pretty close partnership with GM uh, from that factory to actual funding, 
And then you also see that the uh, Ford F-150 is on the horizon. So, you know, if you're a GM, you're going to need an answer to the electric Ford F-150. And if you've already invested money into these guys, you're, you obviously have a close partnership with them. If these guys do well, you can just acquire them. Or you can have some type of strategic partnership um, and add them to the GM brand. Could be interesting that mm. way to go. I mean, depends on, it depends on their valuation. In three years, I don't anticipate their valuation staying this high necessarily, but um, it could be an interesting uh, acquisition for GM in the in the future. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing is that they still list GM as a key competitor with a well, vehicle but, yeah. t- time to launch next year. But look at the bottom. You see it says uh, Hummer EV. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. I guess that's a different type of mm-hmm. product altogether. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of hype around the electric Hummer, but uh, I think uh, GM would still want an electric pickup truck in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might fair. not be that expensive. It might it might be too expensive to acquire Lord Sound. They already have a stake in it. Um, but uh, they might. I don't know if there's some technology share or some way they could uh, leverage this partnership mm-hmm. to then make that make that electric one for cheaper to compete with the F one fifty. Mm-hmm. Like for the Chevy Lion or um, like the Silverado, electric Silverado. I'm sure they're working on it now because uh, they're going to need mm-hmm. an answer to that, especially with so many different electric pickups coming on the market. So the idea is, in terms of going to market, there's a lot of complexity with contracting out a lot of your key components, and if you, you know, break up the, your end product into, let's say. 10 different items or 10 different components. And the idea is that you, uh, at the end of the day, get your 10 components from 10 different people and just assemble it like Lego blocks. Um, The typical end result is that the different Lego blocks all have different inputs and outputs and assembling them is actually much more difficult than you would expect, such that the Lego block model is actually counterproductive. Uh, and I actually kind of see that happening here where, um, you know, for the vehicle components, they have six different components that they've outlined, um, only two of which they are making, um, and not even the most important pieces. They're doing the metal stamping and the chassis, but they're leaving uh, the battery cells, the hub motors, tires, um, you know, all this other stuff to other manufacturers. And this is really reminiscent to me of the Tesla Roadster, like the original one that was made by Lotus. And I think the takeaway from Tesla or from Elon uh, was that when they tried to take the Lotus chassis and just like fit uh, the EV components in, it was just a huge pain, uh, which really, you know, inf- uh, informed Elon to do everything from scratch. Well, I think so that everything always fits. I think with that example, though, like uh, Lotus also manufactured the car, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't like uh, Tesla was actually making it. Like the Lotus factory actually made the Roadster. Mm. Um, yeah, they and also like the, this team, I think, is a bit less green than the Tesla team was when they were trying to make that. I think this team uh, has a lot of manufacturing experience. Uh, like Steve Burns is like made electric vehicles for thirty years at this point. And then everyone else is like, has been on uh, like car manufacturing lines for forever. 
uh, for their entire career. So I think this team is probably a bit less green than the Tesla team was at that time. I don't think the 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 Lego block model is such a bad idea. I like especially for batteries. Like I wouldn't want these guys to mess with the batteries, especially with the volume levels that they're probably going to have when they initially launch. It's kind of just a lot of risk to try to make all of these things in house. So if you can just make the chassis and metal stamping, and you get everything else um, off the shelf just to start out with, make those units, see how it goes, uh, test the market. If you fail, you still make the truck. You just don't sell as many as you get, and then GM buys you, and then you live on in, in GM as the like GM electric pickup. If it goes well, great. Like you've saved some money by making these Lego blocks, and now you can start picking which ones you want to make in house. Like the hub motor might make sense to make in house. I think it's like it's a good way to go. It's pretty scalable. Um, so like you know, with success, you can take more of these. You can take more of these in house. With failure, you haven't uh, risked too much capital. Hmm. I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that plans out. Um, at least in the in the next year or two. I own a little bit of this because I was initially intrigued by the fact that they were uh, working with GM and had their factory. But um, I'm a little bit more pessimistic now than I was before. Yeah, I mean, I think the bear case is you get GM stock. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's I a... have Ford stock, and I'm like I said, I'm like. I bought them like ten years ago, and they're still down like thirty percent. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty. Rough. I think GM is doing pretty well. I mean, GM also made the original electric car, uh, not the original, but like the original modern electric car. So, I mean, they have a deep history in it. They they made the Bolt, they made the Volt. So, I'm sure they're looking at the pickup truck, and they made a, you know, prescient investment into these guys. Mm-hmm. And. I just have a lot of confidence that they're working with the GM team, who I, I also think is like, everyone kind of like you know, <laughs> kind of shits on GM all the time, but they're they've been making bolts for like what since twenty fifteen, and that's been all electric like two hundred mile electric car. So they've had electric cars for longer than almost anyone else. I'm trying to think. I think Nissan had the Leaf, obviously Tesla, but I don't think anyone else has had a fully electric car. Uh, with as wide appeal um, as the Bolt for nearly as long. Mm. Fair, fair point, fair point. Uh, speaking of appeal, I think the car with the most appeal is probably Lucid. I think they're specifically trying to design their car to be as uh, jaw-droppingly sexy as possible. Yep. No surprise, given their CEO was a uh, former Tesla person. Uh, I think he was the former CTO and was driving a lot of the, uh, I think the Model S work. Yeah, I, uh, but, yeah. disclosure, like I, I, have, I have Lucid shares and I'm pretty bullish on Lucid. So I think of all yeah, the companies I, I wanna... that we've we've talked about, I think they're the furthest along and they're the closest to actually being a Tesla competitor, at least on the Model S level. Mm, interesting. Uh, it's they say they're gonna ship uh, 577 um, this year. That's why it'd be like December last week of December or something. Yeah, for for New Year's Eve. Yeah. But if they can do it, then I will be very impressed. I was in them for a hot sec. Uh, I'm no longer in them. Um, but I kind of just yeah wrote it up a little bit. Yeah, I've been yeah. in since uh, January. I'm I'm gonna hold it for years. Nice. Good for you. 
Yeah, I'm pretty um, pretty bullish from these guys. Yeah, but they do have a few slides talking about um, how they plan to approach manufacturing. Uh, they have this facility in Arizona that's going to start production the second half of this year. So I think that'll be a good milestone to keep track of to see how they're doing. Yeah, they've they've got photos of cars moving through and you know uh, things being built. So hopefully, you know things go well and they uh, they can actually start pumping these out. Um, if nothing, I'm excited for all these uh, factories because that's going to create jobs and we're going to get people with like a core co like a competency in manufacturing uh, again. Um, so can't complain about that. Um, they were also talking about how they're going to start building their powertrain and their chargers at these facilities as well. Um, so that'll be a, uh, some of the milestones. I think they're taking a very Tesla-y approach um, in trying to just build out the whole ecosystem, uh, which I think none of the other companies that we talked to were really that um, committed to. Like they had, I think some of these other companies um, are kind of not wanting to be in the business of also having to deal with all the charging and all the whole ecosystem. Yeah, I think that is one one thing is like, are they going to also build out the um, that charging infrastructure? I think they're just going to pound for pound try to out Tesla the Tesla. Yeah, I think one of their big things when they first kind of announced, I think they announced, I want to say they announced in like 2019. I think that was like the CES where they, they had a presence. And like uh, they're like 500 mile range that they were touting back then. When Tesla, I mean, Tesla talked about 500, but they didn't actually have like firm firm plans to add it in like a Model S or the Model 3. So, yep. no, they, they've like, got a slide for that. Um, they think their car is going to have a 517 mm -hmm. uh, mile range uh, per kilowatt hour. Uh, let's see, miles per kilowatt hour. I mean, total range Wait. is 517. I mean, miles per. Yeah, this is. They're saying that they're going to oh, have higher 4. density. 4.5 miles per kilowatt hour. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they're gonna have higher density yeah. than uh, Tesla. I mean, I don't know how when they last updated this. I mean, Tesla had a recent um, recent battery day where they talked about their new tech. Also, Model S is they're planning. I think the twenty twenty one update later this year. I mean, knowing Tesla, probably early twenty twenty two, but that's supposed to have five hundred mile range too. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, this was recently announced. So when Lucid when they first announced, uh, it was only the Roadster that would have five hundred mile range. So they were essentially having like a more down market car that uh, has 500 miles range. And I think five, like 500 miles is really the, I think it's like, personally, I think it's a sweet spot. Uh, Cause when you have 300 miles of range, like you never actually charge electric cars hundred percent. You charge them like 80%. So like 300 miles of range, you have like 250 that you actually charge it to. And then I would say like with the model S, like I normally get like 80% of that charge. So, mm -hmm. Like essentially going somewhere and going back, you're like kind of, it's a bit dicey. So 500 miles gives you mm -hmm. that extra buffer room and a bit more uh, comfort. Okay. Yeah. So I think looking at maps, um, SF to LA is just under 500 miles. So um, I guess by the time Lucid comes out, you should be able to drive from uh, NorCal to SoCal in one charge yeah i don't know i would i would ever chance it but in theory <laughs> yeah because especially like this is like uh yeah i like electric cars like they don't uh the range is is never like quite what it says 
Uh, maybe just because of how I drive it. Maybe I drive it a bit faster, <laughs> so there's more air resistance. But um, I would just how dare you, Alex? You calling? You calling? You calling uh, Mr. Mr. Peter Rawlinson? I mean, he might be right. Just the way I drive, I, I get like eighty percent of what Tesla tells me. So, do you have a do you have a Tesla? No. So my my dad is one. So during COVID, I'm I'm here in uh, in DC. So I've been driving uh, his Tesla. Ah, nice. And it's it's great. Well, I'm a big fan. <laughs> He's the performance nice. version, so it's like uh, zero to sixty in like under three seconds. Which is a pretty mm. yeah, it's a good selling point for Tesla. It's pretty hard to be bearish on Tesla after driving one. Have you? Um, I think it's still like limited, but have you tried the full self driving beta? Uh, so he didn't he didn't get the full self driving um, upgrade. Oh, I see, I see. Which uh, I mean, we, is that something you have to get when you buy it? Yeah, you have to you have to pay extra for it. So I think when he he got like a twenty nineteen, I think it was like. They keep increasing the price. I want to say it was like 6K back then. My, my grandmother, she has a Model 3. She actually got the full self-driving. So I've played around with it. I just, I, don't, I, just, I think it's a confidence thing. Like I don't have confidence that it works. <laughs> so I wouldn't... Like, so he has full... He has like... like a, it's not full self-driving, but he has some type of autopilot. So like on a highway, like I'll, I flip it on and just you know look at my phone. Uh, if I get like text messages and reply to people. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's not gonna like change lanes or do anything. Like once you pay for the, the full self driving package, it'll change lanes. It'll exit for you. But like, mm. I just don't have confidence. Like I've I've played around with it on my grandmother's car, and I just don't trust it right now. <laughs> like I wouldn't I wouldn't be like fully like on the highway. Like you know I'll trust it because it's just like following the lines. But I wouldn't trust it to like was, actually do anything. Not on a was highway. Was there any formative uh, kind of? risky moment when you tried it or is this just like a yeah an impression that you have so i tried i tried the full self-driving in um in like a neighborhood and it like started just going towards the curb randomly <laughs> i was like i mean there's no lines in it so i was trying to it was essentially I, w- I was pretty impressed it was like it was it was following the curb but then like it was like a gentle slope as it like m- went into like a, a side road and then it just like mm-hmm. it was getting confused, and then it just told me to to pick it back up. But it it yeah, I just does I don't have much confidence in uh, in it. And then I also tried it on um, what's it called? Not like a urban area. Well, I guess like a semi like a suburban kind of like shopping mall area. Like mm-hmm. you know the streets between those. I mean it it works like I would say it works like ninety percent of the time. But the problem is you don't know when the ten percent is gonna hit. So I just, I only use like, I only use like the autopilot on the highway with my dad's car with not, not full self-driving. And then my grandmother's, mm-hmm. I've never taken it on the highway. I just took it around the neighborhood to test out the feature. That's fair. That's fair. Okay. So uh, it looks like we've gone through each of these companies. To help evaluate the companies more fairly, we've created a little bit of a ranking framework. That ranking framework essentially allows us to benchmark the companies more fairly against each other. So the four main criteria that we're ranking against and we're evaluating are time to market, manufacturing, team, and vehicle cost. So to go into a bit more detail, the time to market is essentially how soon are they is a company going to be able to generate revenue? How soon can they put their vehicles uh, into the consumer enterprise markets to get money and to help start justifying this valuation? Uh, the next thing is manufacturing. It's relatively easy to make a car. Uh, almost any body shop can 
make you a concept car, but it's very, very difficult to manufacture a car, especially at scale where you're doing thousands, tens of thousands, and then hundreds of thousands of the same unit at the same qual at high quality that it doesn't uh, start breaking your company due to recalls, um, customer complaints, or anything like that. So manufacturing is incredibly complicated and something that um, is vital for the success of any type of uh, hardware company, period. Uh, and cars are, of course, no exception and, and actually incredibly complicated compared to many consumer products. So can these companies manufacture? Do they have either contract manufacturer in place? Do they have a factory that they built themselves? And do they have the operational capability to run that factory efficiently um, to actually produce these vehicles? Uh, and then the team, so the team kind of goes in hand in hand with that. Do they have manufacturing? vehicle manufacturing experience? Have they done something like this before? Have they brought a vehicle from concept to launch? Uh, it's a relatively rare thing, but essentially trying to evaluate, does it seem like a team that can make these EV companies a reality? Can they actually reach the consumer market? There's a lot of hurdles. There's manufacturing, there's regulatory, there's marketing, there's all of these different uh, hurdles to cross and having the right team at least helps mitigate risk from an investor standpoint. And then finally, the vehicle cost. So different companies have, are attacking different uh, parts of that market. So for instance, there's super high market with uh, Proterra and buses and trucks and enterprise vehicles, commercial vehicles. And then on the lower end, we have uh, more consumer-oriented vehicles like Canoe, uh, Canoe's initial vehicle prototypes and initial manufacturing run with their kind of van uh, concept. And then we also have kind of upmarket consumer, which is Lucid, with more of a sedan that's competing more directly with like the A8, uh, the Mercedes-Benz, and the Tesla Model S. So do these vehicle costs, uh, do they seem like something that can help support the enterprise valuation in the long term? Um, is it something that they're going to have to sell a ton of units or sell relatively few units at a high price? So that's one more thing is just the current cost that they're kind of telling us that they're going to sell them at. Lordstown, for instance, saying around 60000 uh, If they actually sell those units at that price, is that something that they can feasibly justify their valuation at? So that's kind of the criteria that we're looking at this from and the angle that we're approaching it from. Let's see. Let, let's start from like the most bullish to, to least. Um, I'm trying to debate. My, fa my, my favorite two are probably Proterra and Lion, just because of how far they are in actually making the vehicles mm -hmm. um i'm just trying to compare their expected revenue numbers over the next few years or at least the amount of vehicles that they expect to sell um so looking at lion they're expecting to go from this year 650 to next year uh just shy of 2500 then to uh over 7500 um lion is looking to become a one point over one and a half billion dollars in top line in 2023, which is uh, do they do wow, they talk about pretty... their TAM? Yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at that. Here we go. So they think it's a very large TAM. Uh, they think that the medium and heavy trucks will be a hundred billion dollar a year market, and that buses will be a ten billion dollars a year market. Between the U.S. and between U.S. and Canada, specifically, Proterra on the other hand, their revenue. So their expected revenue uh, in twenty twenty three is under a billion. 
Um, they're not expecting to hit the 1 billion plus top line number until another year out. But I guess what, what's your like uh, criteria here? Cause like revenue, I, I guess it's, it's maybe a bad thing to say, but like revenue almost like doesn't really matter anymore for so many companies, well, it's, right? It's like uh, what it's a narrative that you can sell. Like what is the growth strategy? So if, if like you're looking at like, why is Tesla worth like almost a trillion dollars with like nothing? Cause the growth is really obvious. So like these guys can take over that market and they can do pretty well in the market, but their stock valuation won't necessarily be as like, um, you know, an order of magnitude increased. So I'm using revenue as like a common measure of how quickly they're able to go to market and to sell. So if we go back to Proterra, they have these weird line items of, you know, in 2023, they're going to sell $492 million worth of transit and $346 worth of powered and energy. So to me, those don't necessarily mean much. Those are just like, I don't know, whatever they're selling, it's going to be dollars. And so I'm just looking using revenue as a one-to-one on how much growth they're going to see. They're also like, they're generating hundred million, like they're generating a significant amount of revenue. They have sales. Um, but but so, between the two, yeah, which are, which is better? I, I almost, I want to say Lion because I'm biased yeah, for the I, 100% in-house build. Like if you're generating this much revenue, mm-hmm. um, actually we should take a look at their gross margins then to see if that's impacted by the fact that they're putting so much in. Uh, Proterra is not going to be EBITDA positive until 2023. So they're going to, it's going to take Proterra a while to get operationally po- uh, profitable. Interesting. So Proterra puts their R&D on the income statement and Lion puts their R&D into cash flow. So Lion's going to be spending 30 plus, 30, 40, 50, 100 over the next one to four years, respectively. And then, yeah, I think it averages out to be roughly the same. So you're going to be spending the same amount in R&D. The reason gross profit is so low for Proterra this year is because they're spending almost all their money on COGS, cost of goods sold. Seems like that's not really happening on the Lion Electric side. Yeah, it seems like Lion doesn't have to spend so much money for some reason. I guess uh, you're you're more more bullish on uh, Lion versus Proterra. I think so. I think that's where I think that's the conclusion I'm coming to. Yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah. So my my top pick is Lion, and then my number two is Proterra. How about you? Okay. Yeah, I think my number one is uh, maybe unsurprisingly is uh, Lucid. Number two is Lordstown, and number three is uh, Lion. Okay. Let's see. I guess number four is Proterra. I want, but I I like Lucid a lot. Lordstown, like I don't really see any downside. Like worst case, GM buys it. Like, and I think GM is going to end up kind of like rolling up a lot of these different uh, electric vehicle companies. Mm-hmm as their valuations come mm-hmm. down and they can kind of snap up the technology and the the talent they need relatively mm. cheaply. Especially as their stock has risen. Like I think they had a 30% bump this year. So they can use that uh, high stock price potentially to, to snap up some of the, the tech talent they mm. need. Do you, so you like Lucid. Do you think that they can actually deliver on all of the innovations that they're talking about? Oh no, not at all. I think, uh, a lot of the stuff they're not going to get, but what I do like is 
I like their range, and I like their um, they're essentially like a not Tesla. Like, there's so many people out there who don't believe in Tesla. They don't believe in Elon. They don't like Elon. Like, he's kind of been making like a I don't want to say an ass of himself, but he's definitely been making himself more of a controversial figure. <laughs> so the question is Tesla versus Lucid. They are not really competing in philosophy. If you look at their deck, uh, Lucid is very much about high end, about luxury. Um, if anything, like the only contrast I can really see about Tesla is that Tesla wants to go down market, and Lucid wants to stay up market. Yeah. But really, I I, I perceive Lucid as just some SVP at Tesla just wanted to make his own version of Tesla because. People are willing to hand him big boatloads of money and he can attract a team. So he did it. I think there is a benefit to not being Tesla, but if you're Tesla in everything but name. Like, are they doing anything that Tesla thinks would not work or does not fit within the philosophy of Tesla that um, this team is capitalizing on? Because it seems like a lot of the same. I mean, I think they're using LiDAR. Oh, okay. Which Tesla moved away from, but I don't think these guys are going to figure out autonomous driving. So... (laughs) Fair point. Hard to make a bull case around that. My main thesis here is just that like there's always gonna be a number one and you always need a number two. So like right now there's like the Porsche Taycan, there's the um e-tron, Audi e-tron, but neither of these cars are practical because they have a 230 mile range. Lucid at 517 miles per charge, like that's an actual electric car. And I don't know why Audi didn't move that route, because mm. like it's not practical at 200 miles. I'm not you're not gonna spend 80k on a car that I, I, you can't take a road trip with that car, whereas five, 500 miles you can. So Lucid essentially is the car that Audi and Porsche need to be in order to compete in this market. So they're the only Tesla alternative. But but they're basically Tesla. So yeah. why would you not just get a Model S? By the time Lucid puts out an actual car, the real numbers, the real numbers for Tesla are going to be numbers. way higher. Like probably 500 Well, the, the, the real numbers from Lucid are also going to be way different. Um, yeah, but I mean, the, the five, 500 plus is like their theoretical upper, um, number, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, once, once they do the EPA testing, mm. then we'll have a real, cause right now, like, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm like, you know, anchoring everything on this 500 mile number, but if it turns out it's like 400, I mean, that's going to be a, that's a 20% different difference, but it's like a pretty big difference in like my perception of the, yeah the future of that company. I think it'd be hilarious if Lucid, for some reason, just can't execute because it doesn't have Elon there to like push everybody to work insane hours to make everything work. And then the company just like isn't able to execute and then Elon just like buys them back. <laughs> yeah, I, unfortunately, the way they made this company, like it, like Elon, like Tesla wouldn't buy it. They would let it die. It's not worth oh, it. Oh yeah. They, oh yeah. No, you're right. They would let him. They would let it die, and then everybody else would just go back to work for Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough, but uh, no. I, I mean, I I like Lucid because like worst case scenario, I have like maybe like a small loss, and then best case scenario, I have like probably a ten x, fifteen x gains. Mm. I think number two is probably Lordstown, just because um. Is the same kind of idea. It's like, what's the worst case scenario? It's like they get acquired by GM and become the electric Silverado. Yeah, yeah. I think this company could go for a lot cheaper than 
Like GM is basically would be buying back their own factory, basically. I don't even think they would. Well, I don't think they would buy the factory. I think they just leave it. Oh, it's just okay. Well, they don't have because right, I mean, they already the GM already has manufacturing capacity, so they would have to just uh, change one of their lines. Yeah, but assuming uh, if GM buys Lordstown back, like they would like have the factory ready to go to build the stuff with all the retooling uh, done. So like if they yeah I'm trying to yeah mm-hmm. if they put them if they try to integrate it into one of their existing fa- online factories, they would would they have to do a lot of retooling, also. I I mean I don't know I I've got no idea. My speculation is that uh, they wouldn't. Mm. Like I'm I'm thinking like okay you have like the, the bolt right like say say you have like a fully electric line right now. Mm-hmm. What does it take to convert that fully electric line to a set of making cars making trucks? Mm. In my head, it's not that much. You already have the supply chain. I think the big thing is like, would you, how much of the, you know, actually, like, I didn't even consider this, but like the supply chain, like, GM already has a supply chain for their cars. Like, or not, what's it called? Uh, Town is not using the same supply chain. So, can you imagine integrating like a whole new vehicle into an existing, like, line that's not even like using your, your same switches, your same suppliers, your same mirrors, all these different components, mm-hmm. seats, every single component in this car is being sourced from somebody. And it would just be kind of a super obnoxious to try to integrate this car and this line with your with your existing line. Mm-hmm. Like it's probably, it might not even be worth it. I mean, have they done it before? I don't think they've done it before. So I think maybe they would just look at them and be like, okay, it worked. Or, oh, no, it didn't work. And then they would just copy it from there. Let's see. But it'd probably be better for them to build it in house because then they can also optimize all the costs. Whereas like the startup might not necessarily be doing that. So I got in at twenty six. So it's tough. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, pretty much at the peak. Yeah, yeah, that's that's about the peak. So lost sixty uh, percent. Yep. I mean, it was five hundred bucks. So yeah. Okay. Actually, so I kind of talked myself out of what it sounded just now, because like. Thinking through like what the actual logistical like what it would actually take mm-hmm. to integrate, it just doesn't make sense for GM. It would be because like I'm also thinking back to like that contract manufacturer thing I was talking about earlier, where um like these guys just used random chips that they had lying around, not taking into account the bomb. These guys are gonna be doing the same thing. Like they're trying to get to market as soon as possible. They're not really gonna necessarily worry about cost as much right now as maybe they should, and then maybe they don't have the experience of like when you make. Hundred thousand units, and you add like a three, four, five hundred dollars extra to the bomb just because. You also keep saying bomb. I feel like that's oh, it's not going to go bill over of materials. Well. Okay. Bill of materials. <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I had this bomb. I don't know what to do with it. Is uh, it's more expensive than I thought it would be, so kind of kind of regret making it. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's like a the list of materials that you use in a in a product. Yeah, thank so you. So like the tires, the sheet metal the mirrors the seats the literally everything yeah it's so, almost like uh, one giant sheet with all the different costs associated with it uh-huh. so like when you have these you have like the cost of all the materials then you have like the labor costs and then you have like shipping costs with all these costs that are break, broken down but like if you're a gm you already have a supply chain so you're going to try to like integrate with these guys who are just trying to make investors happy and, and get some additional funding or you're just going to try to like look at what they did Maybe buy some IP and then just try to do it yourself. And in the long term, it'd probably be actually cheaper for them to just do it themselves. 
because they already have those existing relationships with contractor or with uh, their suppliers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna go with uh, switch my number two to Lion, number three to Lordstown, okay. number well, four to Proterra, and then everyone else I, I'm not gonna believe in. Okay, okay. I mean, canoe. I still like canoe, but I just I don't have any faith in them. Yeah, canoe. Canoe's cool. I mean, they're going headlong into this uh, subscription route, which I think is. Uh, I mean, it's not a bad idea. It's just that's like. I just the, like their vendors and their design. That's not enough to invest in a company. I don't think they have anything else really going for them. Yeah, I don't know if I like the design that much. I just, I, it's very unique. Uh, that's for sure. I think they had a, they had a video. If you if you saw like their investor video mm-hmm. where they kind of walked through like they actually had like a physical prototype mm-hmm. of uh, of their delivery van and like a couple of configurations and like I was just like whoa this is like such a cool idea especially because now like there's like a whole van life thing there's all the food trucks mm. there's the delivery trucks there's like so many instances where I think more people are interested especially like I'm uh, like YouTube always keeps giving me van life videos <laughs> but I might be over indexing on how popular that is but I just think like. It seems to me that vans are more popular, especially as people do more road trips, that kind of thing. And if you have an electric one, maybe that that's interesting. But that's not something they're trying to do in the next two years, anyways. So mm. it just it's also it feels very pie in the sky right now. Like they had a nice prototype. It had some lights that turned on, uh, but you know that's <laughs> that's kind of the extent of where they are right now. They still have manufacturing and a lot of other things to figure out. Okay, I think it's a bit early. Okay, so so your your bottom. Okay, so let's so we got went through the top. Okay, so the, from the bottom, then your canoe is your bottom. Um, I think arrival's the bottom. Okay, I just I'm not super bearish on on arrival just because the bus, like the bus is like so, doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I'm I'm super confused by why they're making a bus. Before. Oh, sorry, sorry, I messed up. These guys have the UPS orders. So no, but they're not they're, even oh, making. Exactly, that's not even the top priority. They're yeah, trying to roll I know, but this that's so confusing. If that's, if that's true, if that's true, then like, and they're acting like it looks like they do have it, unless they're just you know frauding, frauding investors. But uh, they're number three from the bottom. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. just because just because of UPS alone. Well, they have ten. Okay, so they have ten k vehicle orders from ten k times like what sixty k. Okay, so I was reading their deck. And uh, they basically designed this vehicle with UPS. So they they like, I guess they approached UPS as a customer, and they said, uh, "We'll make you a custom vehicle. Just let us know your specs." Yeah, and so I guess maybe they're okay with it coming later in the future. I mean, six hundred million in revenue, assuming six sixty k per unit. Arri- yeah, arrivals my. I am probably most confused by Arrival, but I'm most pessimistic about Canoe because nobody's trying to build 10,000 vehicles in one go as their first production yeah. run. I mean, their their whole side deck is uh, just pandering to investors, it feels like. So, I mean, I, I, I like their stuff, uh, so, but they're, yeah, they're at the bottom because <laughs> I don't believe that they can... <laughs> make anything then second from the bottom is um again uh, xos zos zeus uh zeus sounds better do you think it is zeus? I don't know, i'm gonna say it, zos. I, it's gotta be zeus if it's zos uh they're automatic bottom for me maybe we're just not understanding here but like i don't know we've looked at the deck and like 
I hesitate to put them at the very bottom or no, that far sorry, they're the not the, they're, there's uh number two for me oh second well, from the bottom yeah because i mean they, they they have the possibility of generating revenue but like the yeah. possibility of like how much revenue they can generate like that, essentially that one ups order for arrival is 600 million dollars in revenue assuming 60k i mean i don't mm-hmm. actually know the unit cost but i'm for the sake of this i'm just gonna assume like 50k actually, 60k is that wait is that 600 million is that what you said uh, 500 million, depending on which one you use. 60,000 times 10,000? Yeah, that is... Huh. So, I mean, that's that's a pretty decent chunk. So if you get two of those, it's 1.2 billion. And if you can get UPS and actually produce those, then I'm sure other people are going to come knocking. So mm. I can see larger, longer-term growth. With these guys, like, if they're... It just... Something doesn't make sense to me here. Like, it seems like they're just a tractor manufacturer making some chassis on the side. It's, yeah, so I, it, it seems like they're just like a traditional OEM that just like builds, ran- or a component manufacturer that just builds random shit. Yeah, so, which, I mean, you know, that's fine. That's a good business. It's just, uh, it's not uh, something that, well, there's not much profit in it. That's that's what I'm looking at. Yeah, it's like a limping along business. It's not like a big idea type business. Yep. So, I mean, I you know, they're generating revenue, so good for them. Uh, just not something that I would necessarily invest in. Yeah, so for me, I'd put canoe at the bottom. Second from the bottom would be Zeus. And then third from the bottom would be Arrival. And then Lordstown. And then Lucid. And then Proterra. And then Lion at the top. So I guess we'll just have to see uh, which of these turns out to be correct. Thanks so much for listening. Follow us at SPAC Island on Twitter for updates, to give us feedback on the show, and to tell us which SPACs to review next. Note, the opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts, and not of any entities that they may be associated with. As always, this is not financial advice. Remember to do your own research.